today, church. It's so great. What a great day to be with a family of faith and to declare that word Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Can we collectively, as a church body, those of you who are watching online, those of us who are here, can we just say one big collective, Hosanna. Hosanna. Like you mean it, Hosanna. Hosanna. Amen. Please be seated. You know, uh, the lyric that we just sung was talking about the joy, the joy of a king entering in. And today, that's what we remember. This is a joyous day. This is a day of celebration because what we remember. And man, my prayer for us today is I know a lot of us have been on spring break and might have, you know, kind of our vacation minds on. But I pray that today you will just really engage your brain into the truth of what we're talking about today because I think it is so life-giving. Because last week we had set the stage here in this series for uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden. And that's what this stage represents, just the beauty of the garden. But again, because Adam and Eve both, you know, had some doubts in the goodness of God. Yes, though they fellowshiped with him, there was something that they believed that God might be holding out on them. And I think some of us fall into the same thing, don't we? We know in our heads that, you know, God's word is true, that he is faithful, he is good. But sometimes what happens outside the garden, what happens outside the garden is very confusing. You know, I I know that we live in a world that has both those things that are exhilaration, that we just say, yes, this is life, this is so great. And yet, we also enter into sometimes the very same season we're experiencing that. There's disappointment. There's loss. And I tell you, many of us are going through just the the fullness of that full range of emotion. And at times, we like to take matters in our own hands because we like the exhilaration part. We just don't like the disappointment or the loss of expectation. You know what I'm saying? I know there is a life verse for me that I just, I pray that, Lord, I, I, I don't want to just know this intellectually. I want this at the bottom of my heart. It's Psalm um, 1611. Let me put this on the screen for you. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I I love that the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to write this. But are you experiencing this to be true? Because there's a whole lot of great stuff in that verse. I mean, path of life. It just says, you make known to me the path of life. Why? It's like there's many paths and there's many voices saying, come down this path. But he says, you make known to me the path, the exclusive path of life. And then he says this, and I think so many times when I look at my own practices, I go, do I really exercise the truth that in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy? How many of you want joy? 
Man, I, 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 joy, I love it. It's my favorite three-letter word. I love joy. That no matter the circumstance, because I'm on the path of life, I can find joy even when life doesn't make sense. But then at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, on those different paths that the voices are, are trying to lure us to, every one of those promises pleasure, don't they? But today, we are going to be reminded of a king who rode through the city and started a revolution that did not look like a revolution, but boy, was it a revolution. But it was a revolution nobody was expecting. You know, before we go into our text, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. It's on page 981 in the Grace Spring Bible under the seat in front of you. But if I could give us a warning, because Psalm 1611, this is, this is something that we all want to take to heart. I, I would trust maybe that is why you are here or part of a church family. You're longing to live this from the depth of your heart. But, you know, I was reading the other day in A.W. Tozer. I I love A.W. Tozer's writings. And he has this that I think is a really good uh, reminder for us, especially at a Bible church where we can be all about, hey, man, it's all about the truth of God's word. It's like, yes, it's the truth of God's word and how we live that out. And uh, Tozer said this. Sound Bible exposition, which is breaking down the scripture so that we can hear it, understand it, absorb it. He says, sound Bible exposition is an imperative must in the church of the living God. Without it, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of the term. But exposition may be carried on in such a way as to leave the hearers devoid of any true spiritual nourishment whatsoever. For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in the personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. Do you agree with that? Man, I really do. And then he goes on to say this. The Bible is not an end in itself, but it means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their being, their spirit. Isn't that a good reminder for us all? That we can, we can open up God's word. We can say, oh yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But all of this is to draw us into a relationship with this king we are talking about today. Who comes riding into Jerusalem. Matthew 21. If I can invite Tim Cool up here on stage. He's going to read the text for us. And uh, Tim, come on up here. Um, I know many of us have heard this story, but in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four gospel accounts, this is recorded. And so if we could, uh, Tim, if you could first introduce yourself to us. Sure. Good morning. Uh, As Pastor Brian said, my name is Tim Cool. Uh, My wife of 41 years, uh, Lynn, is over there. Uh, We've been worshiping at Grace Spring for about eight years now. we moved to the Richland area from Battle Creek about 24 years ago and kept attending the church in Battle Creek for a while. And then 
decided to, uh, to get a church in our local community. So as we were looking around, we, we visited a few churches and uh, just kept coming back to this one. We love the, the great scriptural, as Tozer talks about, the great um, exposition and the biblical teaching that goes on here. We love the fellowship. The worship is amazing. And uh, I really like the fact that this uh, church is very focused on reaching out to the community in which we, uh, which we live. So I really appreciate um, Grace Springs. We're involved in a couple Bible studies over the years and uh, look forward to more fellowship and also to additional uh, service here. So would you please stand for the reading of the word? Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered the Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, as we now open up your word, Lord, help me as the messenger to... uh, to get out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to speak. Lord, speak to the hearts. Speak in ways that each one of us will be able to not only hear, but to respond. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, each one of the gospel writers had a reason for their writing. Uh, Matthew, um, his, uh, his, his name is Levi. Um, goes by both names. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and uh, he was a, a tax collector. And his life was radically changed because of the presence and the encounter with the living God. And his writings were out to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And I think it's really important always to know the context and, and what is it that inspired each of the different gospel writers to write and how Matthew writes this text is a reminder that Matthew just wants you to hear that everything we are reading and studying, God knew in advance. God had already set the plan in advance. Remember last week in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, before they were cast out of the garden by the grace of God, they were cast out of the garden so that they would not eat of the tree of life and then forever be separated from presence from the living God. So that was the grace of God that that cherubim was put there to keep them from entering into the garden. But again, um, back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 
the very end, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a reference there to the battle that is taking place that Jesus is about ready to enter into. And that is this battle of kingship, this battle of lordship. And so uh, here we have Matthew. He is writing of the events of what has happened. Now, just prior to this, some amazing things have happened. Not too far from Jerusalem, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. At day four, Jesus raised a dead man from the dead. So, no, that's, that would be the buzz of the town, wouldn't you think? It says, man, this, this Jesus, he is something special. And so, he is on the very east side of Jerusalem in this territory, and, and there's a band of followers surrounding him, and Jesus is telling him, okay, now it is time to go into Jerusalem. And I think the disciples are going, it's about time. Because every time you've done something great, you said, oh, don't tell anybody about it because the time is not now. But now, it's like, okay, now is the time. This is the sovereign appointed time of God for the following to take place. So notice, he, uh, he, he gives two of his disciples some instruction. You are going to find a donkey, and that donkey you're going to find, if anyone asks you, just say, the Lord has need of it. Now again, that's great anticipation, and some of the other gospel writers wrote that, sure enough, when this donkey was untied, they were good. The owner was saying, what are you doing with my donkey? That's my donkey. But he says, hey, the Lord has need of it. Remember the one who raised Lazarus from the dead? Yeah, yeah, one community over, yes, he has need of it. Oh, okay, well, here you go. But the question for us is, why a donkey? What Matthew was really intent on conveying is this, and, and this is why we at Grace Spring Bible Church are unashamedly teaching and proclaiming the truth of the inspired Word of God. Because prophecy, <coughs> the prophecy we see in Scripture is absolutely amazing. And in fact, look at verse 5. It says that all these things, in verse 4 and 5, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. What prophet? Zechariah. 500 years before. Okay, I want you to understand 500 years before, there is this prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. How? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. See, he's, he's quoting from one of the prophetic scriptures. If you turn, though, and you were to find Zechariah chapter 9, there is also the clarity as to, in verse 10 of Zechariah 9, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. Okay, so there's referral in that prophecy of a horse, and there's referral in that prophecy of a donkey. And so here you had that quote from Zechariah 9, 9, but... What was customary in this day, I want you to know the context, because context is so important for you to understand, and that is kings would come riding in a community on one of two vehicles, either a white horse, which was a declaration of war. 
the white horse, a declaration of war. A donkey, a declaration of peace. So again, in the Zechariah 9, it was to take you back to, okay, here is how you are to identify your king. Your king will be riding in on a donkey. Now, why would there be this identification? Um, Here's why. Because I was uh, uh, perusing a book entitled The Last Week by Marcus Borg and John Crossan. And in this, they were talking about during this period of time, whenever there were the high Jewish festivals, which were three a year, these Jewish festivals were known as pilgrim festivals. Why? Because people would come from all over Israel three times a year to come into Jerusalem, and there would be this great festival. So Passover was one, and this is when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was entering into Passover, and I think it's a beautiful picture, because what does Passover commemorate? It's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Remember 10th plague. The only deliverance from the judgment of the 10th plague was the blood of the perfect lamb, that lamb that was to be brought into a home and observed and, and, and loved on, but that was going to be the lamb. It was the blood of that lamb that was put on the doorpost that would deliver that household from the consequences. Okay, So you've got Passover, and I tell you, this is a, a, a huge celebration. There was at least a million, if not two million people in Jerusalem from all over celebrating Passover. But 50 days later, there was another celebration that was Pentecost. And in that celebration, another big festival. And then there was another one, the Feast of Booths. But here's what the Romans had to do every time there was a high Jewish festival, that there would also be a grand entrance, and that entrance, in this case, contextually, would be Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of this area, and what the Romans would do is make sure to keep tabs on the Jews, and since there were so many Jews coming in to celebrate, they had to bring in extra soldiers, and these soldiers would have their leather polished, they would have their helmets polished, they would march to the cadence of a drum beat. They were establishing the power of Rome. So I want you to understand that, that Pontius Pilate would be riding in on the other side of town right around this time on a horse saying, we are Rome. If you do anything to defy us, we will squash you. Okay? I want you to see structurally that this is an artist's rendition of in the very center of town here overlooking the temple court, you had these four guard towers that could look over the different sections of Jerusalem. So if there was ever an uprising, they would be able to see that and quickly address the garrison of soldiers to the place so that there is not an uprising that gets out of control. I want you to understand the contrast here. So here on this 
high holy day where people are coming in, soldiers are marching in from one side of the city, and Jesus on the donkey is coming from the east side of the city. Now, I know we just had a crew come back from Israel. And, but the, the, the east gate that Jesus would have um, come through was down at the lower level of the city, correct? Yeah, so that's at the lower level of the city that Jesus came riding in on a donkey. He's got his followers. His followers are saying, Hosanna, 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 save us. And what is the saving that they were begging for? Saving from Rome. That oppressive Rome. Look at all these soldiers around. Look, they're trying to keep tabs on us. They want Jesus to do something about Rome. But if you go back to our text, look at verse 10. Look at the question. The question is this. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus who comes riding in on a donkey? Well, Let's start to answer that. And I'll tell you, I think this week is so significant in the life of this church body. It's such an important week, church. Here's why it's so important. That out of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you know there's a total of 89 chapters in those four gospels that recount the life and ministry of Jesus Christ? 89 chapters. Do you know what percentage of those chapters focuses in on the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry leading up to his death? Do you know what percentage? Now, Jesus had a three and a half year ministry. But do you know that almost 40% of the Gospels are about the last week of Jesus Christ? The last week leading up to his death, leading up to his resurrection. So this is very significant. This is why, church, that we are really going to great lengths this week to provide opportunities. I'm going to talk about those here in a little bit. But I do believe that we need to keep asking ourselves the question, who is Jesus? Not who is Jesus intellectually, but yes, knowing what God's word has to say about Jesus. And then how is that? infiltrating our hearts and impacting our lives. Well, the first truth about Jesus that we see it in the uh, Zechariah prophecy, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. He is a humble king. Now, I said humble king. I did not say modest king. And here's why I say that. Because if I were to just say humble king, you, you could picture Jesus riding on this vehicle, this donkey, that is to signify peace. And you could picture him just kind of riding through, kind of like, uh, just kind of sheepishly, um, just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the king if you want me to be a king, um, I'm, I'm a king that, um, if your truth thinks me a king, then I'm a king based on your truth. No, that is not the Jesus who comes riding in on this donkey. This is a Jesus who knows he is king. He knows he is king. 
but he knows that the expectation of those who are following that this is going to be quite a week, that those expectations are not going to be fulfilled, but that he is doing something that will overwhelm even his followers. We see that in the course of this week, that his followers are going to be incredibly confused and incredibly disappointed, but that this humble king is coming riding in. How do we know that the disciples' expectations weren't met? Well, when Jesus was arrested in one of the other gospel accounts, what does Simon Peter do with his sword? He, he cuts off the ear of Malchus the servant. And Jesus says, hey, no, no, put that down. And Jesus puts the guy's ear back on. He says, no, that's not the kind of revolution I'm starting. It's not the kind of revolution I'm starting. I am a humble king. You know, I love texts like Philippians 2, 8. That says, in being found in human form. Now, let's stop right there. Being found in human form. Why in the world would he be found in human form? Because the storyline of the Bible is God trying to reclaim presence with his creation as God intends life to be, okay? We see the story of God creating a nation and God then tabernacling with his people so he could live among his people. And then there was the temple. Why? So that God could come in and, and, and his presence be in the midst of his people, and so now you've got Jesus emptying himself of, of all the magnificent glory, the kind of glory where if you see him, you would die. That kind of glory, he emptied himself of that, took on human skin so that we could behold the glory of God, that if you see Jesus, you see the glory of the Father. Man, manifested. I mean, it's a, a beautiful picture. So back to our uh, Philippians 2.8. He says, being found in human form, this is God making his way into presence to restore what was broken in the garden. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember the other garden scene that just happened here? Um, that's going to be happening here this week, and that is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to be wrestling with the Father and say, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. I mean, that's again a garden scene. But then Jesus leaves. Not my will, but thy will be done. Folks, that's where joy is found, by the way. That path of life, Psalm 1611, that path of life, that path of life, church, is being right in the middle of the will of God, even when it doesn't make sense. <coughs> For Jesus' case, he was heading towards a cross. That's what this week is reminding us of. He is a humble king, but he's not a modest king. He is a king, whether you choose for him to be a king or not. Make no mistake, he is king. Amen? Hosanna, Lord save us. Secondly, he's a redemptive king. He's a redemptive king. Redemptive king, he is restoring what was broken in the garden. He's restoring that so that we could have presence with the living God. And the presence of the living God that he is making his way to do is for now there to be a new temple. Where is that temple today? 
in the hearts, in the hearts of the saints, in the hearts of those who say, I make a horrible king, but there is no king but King Jesus. You see, he is a redemptive king. You know, so many of us have committed John 3.16 to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then it goes on, 17 and 18 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is so important, folks. The only Son of God. Why is that so important? Well, let's go back now to this uh, triumphal entry. Remember I said there were two entries that day. One of the king on the donkey, the other the king on horseback. Do you know that Pilate on horseback as governor representing Rome was considered a son of God? Did you realize that? Why? Because Caesar Augustus was looked to as the Romans, by the Romans, as, as the son of Apollos. As the son of Apollos, now any son or anyone who is working for the Roman government under the authority of Caesar Augustus would come into a city as a son of small g God. So I believe this is why John himself writes that whoever has not believed in the only son of God, capital S, Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is God incarnate now coming into Jerusalem, not only as a humble king, but he is coming as the redemptive king. He's restoring what was broken at the garden. Isn't that good news? It's such good news, church, that he is the true son of God. And then we're reminded that not only is he a humble king, a redemptive king, but he is the eternal king. He is the eternal king. Where is Jesus Christ today? He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of authority, interceding on behalf of the saints, interceding on behalf of those who've said, I make a horrible God, God, there is no God but you, who've humbled ourselves like our Savior, humbled ourselves, and then come before our, our, our Lord and allowing the great exchange to happen. You know what the cross is that we're celebrating on Friday night? The great exchange is all of the worst that I have, all my sin, everything that's been just compounding and, and the weight that I'm under. I know that I fall short of the holiness of God. I know that I fall short. But the great exchange is Jesus Christ takes that on himself and he takes that to the cross. And what, is you, what does he give you in exchange for your sin? Oh, he gives you righteousness. He gives you life. He gives you eternal life. He gives you a life that is so bigger than any life 
that you could live in your own power. I tell you, when life gets confusing, we start living for ourselves and we try to control our own narrative, our own experiences. But this is the eternal king. And in Revelation, I, I love where you, you start reading of the new heavens and the new earth. In 21, 3 and 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. See, there's this presence. We're going to celebrate that next week on Easter. Folks, by the way, we are going to have every chair out that we own here at Grace Spring Bible Church. It's going to, if we see it this full here, um, next week is going to be crazy packed. So get here at a good time so you're not in overflow. Okay, but next week we—it's going to be an incredible celebration. It's going to be a celebration of this eternal King that has had this plan since the Garden of Eden to restore everything that was broken. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to no more sin, no more death, no more pandemic stuff, no more nothing. But man, this is so good. We have this to look forward to. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him. So you see, it's a presence thing. It's God desiring presence with his creation. And so everything that Jesus is doing, now he is providing a way for us to have presence. But I also love, I think I was reading in uh, Revelation 7, around verse 9-ish, if I recall right. Yeah, this is another palm-waving event. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And what did they have with them? Palm branches in their hands. Bring him back to this point that this, what Jesus was entering into in Jerusalem. There were two kings that day, one on horseback, one on donkey back. Okay? Two kings. And I do believe that the question that everything this week wants to answer is, who are you bowing your knee to? Which of those two kings? See, one has power. One has pomp. One has, hey, that looks like a winning team right there. And then you have Jesus, the homeless ragtag guy with his followers, putting palm branches and clothing before and him riding in Jerusalem. And so everything this week, church, we want to do is to help you engage and I'll tell you, since the pandemic, here is something we've observed. And I talked to pastors, and they've observed this all over the place. That it's like, yeah, more and more people come, or more people are coming back to the gathering. However, anything outside of the Sunday gathering, people aren't showing up much for. Why? Because they've gotten themselves busied with so many other things. This is a weak church for us to get our hearts back in alignment with the power and the authority of this God who radically loves you so much that he wants you to walk that path of life. He wants you to experience those pleasures forevermore that are abundant in his right hand. He wants that for you. He wants that for you. So Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, at various times, we're going to have available um, here stations of the cross. Um, 
you know, you, you know, just a variety of times that those are meeting. But I know um, each night it's, uh, you know, finishing up at about 7, 7.30. And there's going to be stations for you just to be able to go in your own time, to be able to pray through Scripture, to be able to say, okay, Lord, man, allow this to get into my heart. I've got it in my head. Allow it to get to my heart. So we've got those opportunities here Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And then Wednesday night at 5.30 is the Passover meal. And it's going to be just a wonderful time here in the concourse. Do you need to bring anything? You just bring your own dinner. But yeah, there is going to be, you can look up on just, this is going to be a Passover time out there in the concourse together. And then on Friday at 7 o'clock, we have our Good Friday service. That's going to be a powerful, powerful moving service. This is an opportunity to invite people. I've seen so many people come to faith at Good Friday when they've seen the enormity of what Jesus Christ did so that they could have life. And then Easter Sunday, we're going to have our 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And uh, if some of you might consider even moving to the second service, we've had a little bit more room in the second service. But I tell you, we want this to be a celebration of life. And so with that, again, my question before we go now into a time of communion is this, to which king are you bowing? The king who gives you what you need What is it that every human being needs? They need the redemptive work of Jesus Christ applied to your soul so that your sin is not held against you, that a holy God in his holiness, he has to judge sin. Jesus Christ this week is coming into Jerusalem, and he is going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Make no mistake, folks, this is not religion that we practice here at Great Spring Bible Church. It's a relationship in the, with a living God, a living God. In religion, you're always trying to figure, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Oh, there is no rest in that. The beauty that you will be reminded of this week on Good Friday is to tell us, die. It is finished. It is finished. The work has been done. All you need to do is receive it. And so before we go into a time of communion, I just want to pray a prayer because I know even last month we had some that were entering into communion for the very, very first time. They came before those elements, and they said, I now take to heart what Jesus Christ did for me, and I'm going to invite you. If you, you, you might have heard this message or the message of the gospel for years, but you've never taken the step. Maybe you have so many doubts. Well, if that's the case, we're going to talk more about that next week, and that doubts are welcomed. But may today be the day of your salvation. So I'm going to pray over you pray over you, and I invite Pastor Jim up here to lead us in a time of communion. Lord God, I thank you for, I thank you for this time here that we can be, as a family of faith, celebrating the, uh, the, the triumphal entry. Lord, your word has been declared and unpacked. Now may, may it change us 
to rightfully bow our knee to the one king who has the humble and redemptive authority to truly change our standing from sinner to saint. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit stir hearts to respond and follow through, that we change our allegiances from the fake son of God to the true son of God, to the one who has authority to transform graves into gardens. May we, as a result, live out Psalm 1611, of a fulfilling life, of that of joy, that of taking advantage of the pleasures that are in your right hand for us, Lord. Lord, do your work as we prepare our hearts to receive from you what only you can give to us. We pray in your holy and precious name and all God's children said, Amen. Amen.